All right, praise the Lord. Good morning. Somebody hit the lights back there. I'll make sure you see me in a blue shirt. <laughs> I look so handsome this morning, I want to make sure everybody sees me. <laughs> if you're new here, I normally wear a black shirt every week. And uh, I watched a news, uh, uh, on the news they had a um, two shirts they put out in the sun. One was white and one was black. And they measured their temperature after three hours. And the black shirt was 120 degrees in the sun. The white shirt was 99 degrees. And so I'm very warm natured anyway. So I told my wife I have to change my methods a little bit for the summer maybe. I didn't realize there was a 20 degree difference in the white shirt and the black shirt. Isn't that amazing? Amazed me. I'm sorry. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 34, verse 4. It says, I sought the Lord. How many have ever sought the Lord? How many have ever questioned the Lord, talked to the Lord, looked to the Lord for help is what that means? How many have ever done that? I think all of us have. Very youngest age, nobody ever taught you how to do it, but you say to yourself sometimes, God help me. How many have ever done that? All of us have done that at some point. God help me. So I sought the Lord, but here's what's amazing. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Let me think that's an awesome thing. That you can say, God help me. And God can deliver you from all your fears that you have at that time in your life. That's a tremendous blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we um, ask for your help. Lord, that you would speak through this message directly into lives. Help us change lives, Lord, and uh, do your will in our lives, Lord God, and in this church. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So I was talking uh, to a friend of mine this morning, uh, Pastor uh, Jeremiah Jeffers and uh, his wife Amy, and as I was talking to him early this morning, he was all excited and he was sharing uh, the word that he was going to preach this morning, and and um, Jeremiah will be joining us probably in the next month here, and uh, is going to come and be a part of this ministry here, and he's had a... Um, background where God has delivered him from so much. I mean, he uh, came through Teen Challenge. He's one of their primary uh, teachers in Teen Challenge, and and he is fired up about coming and being a part of our ministry uh, in, the, in those areas for freedom, for recovery. And so I just want you to be praying for him because I am pumped up. I'm excited. I've been waiting a long time Uh, We're going to be getting very active in the arena of going to the deepest and the darkest places and helping with alcohol addiction and celebrate recovery in AA. And so I want you guys to really get excited about that. I told him we'd have a group ready to rally around that ministry, and I'm just so excited. You, You probably can't tell I'm excited about it. But he was telling me this morning, and I'm glad he shared it with me, he uh, read an article about a, a story that he thought was really amazing, and it's kind of shocking when you hear it, but a, a, a ship was out in the middle of the ocean, the deep part of the ocean, and they had a shipwreck. 
and the entire ship was lost and it went down to the depths of the ocean. And I don't even know how this is possible. I'm just knowing that he read the article. I haven't even seen the article, but he said one guy survived in the depth of the ocean. Somehow he found an air pocket and he was down in the deepest, darkest part and they sent a crew down to rescue the bodies. It was a recovery. It wasn't a rescue. It was a recovery. And so they were going down to get the bodies and the guy sat there for 60 hours and pure darkness and somehow he could see the team And in the darkness, he grabbed one of their arms. And it was so shocking to them because they did not expect someone to be alive. And he said, Chad, he said, that's us. He said, God has put that supply of oxygen on our back and wants us to go to the deepest and the darkest place where there seems like there's no hope. And he wants us to bring them up. And I was so excited when I heard that this morning. It's right along with what I'm preaching. Um, when you read this particular psalm, hallelujah, you got to know the background of it because this is a dark place in David's life. Very dark. In fact, Psalm 34 is... Um, uh, I was reading a story about this particular psalm and uh, Abraham Lincoln, this was like his favorite psalm. And during the Civil War, how many know that was a very dark place in our nation's history? And uh, he really was excruciatingly uh, stressed during the Civil War. If you've ever read about the stress that he went through and the fears that he had. And, and he was a high-anxiety person. You may not know this unless you study history really well. But Abraham Lincoln suffered with anxiety his whole life and then during the Civil War especially. And uh, in his younger years, he would memorize scripture, went to church, um, very much was committed to the Lord. And then as he went into his lawyering years, he kind of uh, wasn't as close. And then around the time he became president, he became much closer to the Lord. And and during the Civil War, I mean, he was so close to the Lord. And uh, they found his Bible in his study. And they said that that Bible was so creased that you would literally open it to Psalm 34 every time you opened it. Because anybody ever had a Bible like that? It's creased in one place, especially. And uh, you could open it right to that place. And the one place that looked like that stood out on that page and in that chapter was Psalm 34.4. That was, it was almost like his finger was there for long periods of time. They said it was smeared and kind of smudged. And it said, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Hallelujah. Do you know how much in life has its roots in fear? And you say, well, man, Chad, I don't have any fear. (laughs) But you know, men have fears. Lots of them. They don't talk about them a lot of times. They don't... Reveal it a lot of times, but a lot of the ways that we deal with stress as men is because we have fears. And fears, um, some that we can change and some that we can't. I mean, I've ever heard the prayer, you know, Lord, let me, help me accept the things 
that I can't change and give me the courage to change things that I can, and I just butchered it. Uh, you'll see it somewhere on the wall, so read it for yourself. <laughs> but how many know that we have a lot of fears, some things we can change and face, and some things only God can take away? And if we could remove fear from our life, it would change our anxiety levels and our fear and our stress um, and our panic attacks. And if we could walk in peace, and you say, well, what are some of the fears? Well, some of the fears are relationships. How many think that uh, a lot of people walk around in fear of relationships? Children, parents, you know, husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends. We can see it, right? Money. How many have think people have fears about money and status and, you know, being provided for and, you know, paying bills and things like that? Um, let me give you a real good one. Death. And you say, well, I'm, I'm fearless. I'm not afraid of death. Well, if you don't know the Lord, you should be. But if you know the Lord, you shouldn't be. And so there are some things that we have to have the Lord's help. Because if you don't fear death and you don't know the Lord, that's called dumb. I'm just being honest. Because there's one fear the Bible says we should have. And all the other fears it says we shouldn't have. And the one fear we should have is the fear of God because Jesus said, don't fear those who can harm your body. Don't fear those that can kill your body. Fear him who after you have died can put your soul in hell. That's Jesus that said that. He said, no, not the meek and humble. Yeah, that's what he said. He wanted to know that we should fear God. And that's it, nothing else. It swallows up every other Fear. There's no other fear that we should live with except the respect and an awe of God because it controls everything. And so as we look at this, the first verse says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is David, King David speaking here. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear me. And be glad. He's saying, be glad with me, humble. Hear me. Magnify the Lord with me. David was like, not enough just for me to be excited. I want you to do it with me. Magnify God with me. Worship God with me. And he says, and let us exalt his name together because I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now they say that David has an audience here. And so the immediate question is, who's the audience? And I want to know, who's he talking to here? Is he a king? Is he in front of all the people? Who's he saying, join me in praising God? And there is a subscript here. There's an introduction to this uh, particular psalm. And the introduction says, this is from David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. And, and he drove him out and David went away. And that doesn't mean a lot to you unless you read the story. And the story is in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And 
you can read that in 21 verses 10 through 15 and it says this, David rose and fled that day from Saul. Do you guys know what that means? That's important. Saul's the king over the entire nation. God has said already that David is going to be the future king. Saul doesn't like it. He's jealous, right? And there was a song that everybody was singing. Saul kills a thousand, but David kills 10,000. Everybody's singing this song and the entire nation and even the neighboring nations know about this song. Now, if you're king and they're singing a song that David's 10 times better than you, (laughs) you understand why he's in a jealous rage. But here's the important thing. Have you ever had a fugitive manhunt on your life where the entire nation is looking for you on behalf of the leader of the entire nation? That's what David's dealing with. At a very young age, in fact, probably around his preteen years, 12, 13, Samuel anointed him and said, you're going to be the future king. And he was just a humble uh, shepherd boy. And from the time of 12 until about 17, God did some miraculous things for this shepherd boy. It says he killed a bear with his bare hands. He killed a lion. That's not easy to do for a teenage kid. It said the Spirit of God came upon him on that day, and, and from that day forward, he did some amazing things through God. Then at the age of about 17, he kills Goliath. The entire nation did not want to fight Goliath, and so David says, I will. You know, he's insulting God. And so you heard the story of David and Goliath. And then after Goliath, you see in those next chapters, he became um, promoted in the military, And it says that he went after a lot of Philistines and killed a lot of Philistines. That's why they would sing the song. There was no military guy like David because the anointing of God was upon him. And David was an amazing warrior. But he was still young. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And so now we get to 21 after all this promotion of David. All these mighty things that God did through David. And now Saul has had enough of David. So when this psalm was written, the very first thing we know is David's running from Saul. So what do you think it feels like when you suddenly have to run from your home? You can't really load anything up. In fact, about the only thing he took was he went to a a village where they kept the sword of Goliath that he killed Goliath and took his sword. And and, and that's how he defeated, uh, finally killed Goliath was with the sword. He has Goliath's sword. He takes that. But really couldn't take anything. He was on the run. He was a fugitive. Um, How many remember just uh, maybe a month ago there was a fugitive in Henderson? And remember how everybody is on alert? In fact, I was over there working at the church in Henderson. And somebody came through on a bike and somebody ran up to me and said, that's him. And uh, I said, that's not him because it was Paul. I know Paul. And somebody was telling me that was the fugitive. And so when you're on high alert, the entire nation is looking for that person. So how many know this is a dark time for David? David went from being a hero to being hunted by the entire nation. 
Um, he was trying to get enough food to eat. He was trying to find somewhere to hide. So you're pretty desperate. Let's show you where he went. And this is 1 Samuel 21.10. David rose and fled that day from Saul and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. The servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one another uh, of him in their dances? Saul has struck down thousands, David his ten thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. You guys remember where Goliath is from? Gath. This is the Abimelech that they're talking about. Abimelech is a word that means father king. It's like Pharaoh or Caesar or it's a title for the king of the Philistines. And he's from the exact town that Goliath was from. So David flees to the land of the people that he celebrated for fighting in war. And whose sword he has on his side. How desperate you have to be in a fugitive manhunt to run to Philistine territory. But this is where David's at. And it says, Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man... Oh, I'm sorry, I missed a lot there. Uh, He was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, so he changed his behavior before them, pretended to be insane in their hands. He made marks on the doors of their gate, and he let spit run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, this man is crazy. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen in my kingdom? That you have brought me this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? It's like, why are you bringing him to me? This is a crazy person. So David, for whatever reason, we don't know if it was a sin, bad or good or what, but David acts like he is insane, spits going down his beard, he's scratching the door like an animal, And this man and all the people began to look at him and say, we don't think this is him. (laughs) Ever seen somebody and you thought it was them? But then you looked again and you're like, well, man, I don't know. Well, whatever happened, um, we don't know if David sinned or didn't sin or what, but he was acting crazy. And for whatever reason, we, we know who David attributes it to in a moment. But for whatever reason, they look at him and say, this can't be him. And so they release him and he goes to live in a cave alone. And so while he's in this cave, God just begins to minister to him. And he writes this in the cave. And so if you read this story as it goes on, how many think this is interesting? This is fascinating. David's not a king yet. But studying David's life very carefully, I've always recognized, and most commentators will recognize, this is where David kind of went. Um, from being a normal person to being a real king. And when he came out of that cave, he came out with his mighty men. But when they went in, they were, and pardon this term, they were losers. They were a group of people that were indebted, they were stressed, they had anxiety, um, they were misfits of society, there was nothing noble about them. If you read that group, it just says they were a bunch of people that were indebted to people. And they had nowhere else to go. So somehow, David goes into the cave alone. 
And 400 men join him in the cave from neighboring nations. Just all the misfits from the area end up with David in this cave. And there's a fugitive manhunt. All over the nation, they're looking for him. And David writes Psalm 34 while in there. And so now I can get to the point where David says, okay, everybody come around and worship God with me. Because here's what God did for me. I personally think that David probably was embarrassed and humiliated that he behaved the way he did. That, in fact, it has a lot of reflections of Abraham and Isaac. When they were young in the Lord, they went to Abimelech, right? And they deceived in order to survive Abimelech. And early in Abraham's faith, that was one of the things that Abraham began to learn was, I don't have to deceive, I can trust God. Isaac learned the same lesson with Abimelech, this leader, uh, where he was deceiving at first. And then as God grew him in his faith, he began to trust. And see, here's one of the problems we have in the Bible is a lot of times we don't see the time lapse. Like we don't see how Joseph, who God had a promise on his life, ends up in prison, falsely accused, and we don't really count the days that he spent reconciling the fact that I can trust God. He spent day after day after day in a dungeon in a prison learning that, hey, God's hand is on my life and I can actually trust him. I don't have to deceive. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to do anything. Daniel, the same thing. We see Daniel leaving as a teenager in captivity. After a war, they take captives. But we don't see all the days that Daniel spent learning how to trust God. That, hey, I can trust God with my life. You know, we don't see all the days that Abraham matured into this person that finally said... I can trust God with everything. I can trust him with my life. And so that's what the Bible is trying to teach us, that there is a process where you finally realize in life, I can trust God with everything. And David had seen some mighty things. In fact, you say he's the most courageous guy in the world because he defeated Goliath. But how many know David still did not fully trust? But God put him in the darkest, deepest place that he could possibly be have you ever been in a cave sometimes we read that and we think man i could live in a cave have you ever really been in a cave i mean just to sleep in a cave would require getting over a lot of fears like those big middle eastern spiders those big middle eastern poisonous snakes right you say well we got just garters around here right not there in fact, my buddy Cyril, who was here a few weeks ago, he told me, he said, yeah, some of those snakes, they, they will uh, curl up with you at night. Those black mambas will curl up with you at night because they're trying to stay warm. And he said, some of them will jump in the air and shoot at you. <laughs> so how many know you sleep in a cave? When David says, "God," I cried out to God and he helped remove all of my fears. David's a Dylan with a lot of fears here. We don't know what all the fears are, but how many know there are a lot? Number one, there's a manhunt for my life. I'm in the deepest, darkest place. I'm in my 20s probably. 
and I probably won't live another day. And by the way, I have to run for my life to Philistine territory with the sword of the guy I killed who was their champion. And there's a song that even they know that I've killed 10,000 Philistines. (laughs) Do you understand how dark this is? And so David goes to this cave alone, and I think he's thinking to himself, how did I make it out of there? Have you ever been there? Like, how did I make it out of there? That was the darkest place there could possibly be, and here I was, scratching on the doorpost with spit on my face. And obviously he was crying out to God because he said, I cried out to God. And he delivered me from all my fears. And so he realized that it wasn't my acting (laughs) that accomplished it. Somehow God delivered me. Because look what he says. He He says deliver twice. In fact, title of my sermon is Deliverance from Fear. But he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. He's talking to these 400 people. Saying, look what God's done. God's changed me. God in that cave made him a man who fully depended on God no matter what. Because if God can get me out of this, he can get me out of anything. I don't fear for my life. In fact, I've been in a couple situations where I was on the verge of death. In fact, I was in the ocean and should have drowned. And I knew that I was about to die and there was no fear. God delivered me from that. God delivered me from any fear of death. I was like, I feel bad for everybody else, but I know where I'm going. And how many know every fear, financial, relationship, Lose this, lose that. God wants to deliver you from all that. But Chad, I'm worried about this fear. I have this anxiety. God wants to deliver you from, he said, all fears. Hallelujah. Then David goes on and he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and what? Delivered me from all my fears. Those who look, listen to this, those who look to him are radiant. That means that David is saying this After getting delivered from the Philistines and delivered from the fugitives, delivered from the spiders, delivered from the snakes, delivered from the dark cave, all those fears he had, he says, those who look to him, their faces are radiant. Can you imagine going through the deepest darkness of your life and being radiant? Those don't sound like they go together. Hey, Chad, I'm going through the deepest, darkest place in my life, but God said he'll deliver you from the fear The valley of the shadow of death is what that sounds like. Remember, I fear no evil. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. Hallelujah. And God can take you through the darkest places, but he's saying he sought the Lord, he delivered from his evil, or delivered him from all his fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. Listen to what he says about himself. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel, listen to this, the poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Again, he delivers them. The angel of the Lord was encamped around David. 
in a cave. And with fugitives all around him, pinned in, darkness, no hope. Just imagine that guy, 60 hours in the depths of the ocean. No hope. But God says, there I am. Encamped with you. In the deepest and the darkest cave. In fact, where do they take you to show you there's no light? In a dark cave. This is a dark place. I don't know if any of us have ever been that desperate. We've got a lot of desperate situations. I've been in a lot of desperate, dark places. But I don't know if any of us have ever had an entire nation manhunting us and going to an enemy of that level's camp and having to face their king. I mean, this is extreme anxiety and stress. You know, and David wrote this psalm in the middle of that darkness. And can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what darkness you are in today. I know the way out. I know the way out. Hallelujah. You can, I've, I've been in the darkness. Trust me, I've been in the middle of all these darknesses I've mentioned this morning. And I found the way out. Because God... Because God's angels encamp around his people. You said, Chad, you can't overcome the fear of death, though. I've got a death sentence on me. God will take away the fear of death. God will take all these fears away. He removes them. You say, man, life would be great if I didn't have that anxiety and I didn't have that worry and I didn't have that fear, and God does that. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And here's what I like. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him will have no lack. And you know why I like that? Because there's no way to experience it unless you taste it. It's like I can sit and I can... How many have ever went to the store and you see those people with the samples? And this old boy likes those samples. In fact, I might go around the aisle several times. But you got to taste it. She can't thoroughly explain to me what it tastes like until... And I'm usually willing... To sample them all. But how many know you've got to sample the Lord for yourself? I can't explain to you what deliverance is. I can't explain to you what it means to trust. I can just tell you I've been in the dark place and I took a bite. I tasted it and now I see. You say, well, how come I can't see it? Because you haven't tasted it. And David is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who trust Him. Just in case you're wondering what it means to eat and taste, saying blessed are those who trust Him. That means when you're in your darkest place, go back to verse 1. Here's what David looked like in his darkest place. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Let the humble hear and be glad. Hallelujah. You know what the humble hear and be glad means? 
How many have ever been brought low? How many have ever been in a place where you have needed God? You've been broken. You've been beaten. You've been burned. You've been hurt. You've been mistreated. You've been persecuted. You've been all these things. And you were one of the humble who was broken and looked to God. And he said, did the humble hear me? And so David's asking for the humble to come forward. And guess who's there? He's preaching to the choir. He's preaching to 400 people that have been through something. They've been through everything. They're broken. They're beaten. They're battered people. They've been indebted to people. They're misfits of society. They're people that are not the people you would build an army out of. And David said, would the humble join me in magnifying God? And what is God looking for? God's looking for people who have been through something. And you say, well, wait a minute. You're saying God takes the broken and that's who he uses. Yes. I'm saying that Joseph went through years of prison. I'm saying Daniel was in prison. I'm saying they were carried away as captives in a war. I'm saying they all went through hard things. But the problem is some of us wouldn't go through a hard thing. They would get halfway through a hard thing and they would keep trusting God. But in America, we go through something hard and we say, it's not fair. I shouldn't have to go through this because I trusted God. And I'm not making fun of you. I guess I am. Making fun of us. Making fun of us, right? Because who does God use? God uses the humble that have been broken and trusted God through it. And God uses those people. In fact, do you know what the name of those people were when they came out of that cave? The mighty men of David. The broken misfits that David was calling together and said, well, you praise God that He brought us through all of this. He brought us out of the darkness. He brought us out of the hopelessness. And can I tell you, that's who God uses. The people that are brave enough, have courage enough to trust God whenever you're broken and you're beaten. Can I tell you something? A lot of people think, a lot of people think that it's um, fear that motivates. I know people that think fear motivates. They think, well, man, if I'm afraid, that'll make me work harder. If I'm afraid, then that'll make me go save my marriage. You know, if I'm afraid, if I've got fear of, of, of whatever I'm struggling with, that'll make me do something. Fear has never done a stinking thing. Fear has done nothing to help any situation ever. You're mixing that up. It's courage. It's faith to face the situation. Fear makes you cower. Fear makes you back away. It's okay to recognize there's fear, but the only thing that's ever built a relationship up is courage to change. Courage to face the situation. Courage to face relationships. Courage to face struggles in life and church. The Bible has called us as a church to be a hospital. The church has called us to pull those people together that are all struggling. In fact, you say, well, are there people? There there are people in the world that aren't. No, all of us are struggling. All of us are fighting things like grief and finances and addictions and all these things. And God's called us together to encourage. That word means to pour courage in. 
And so I want to give you a few things that will help you go from fear to the opposite, which is courage. And not be motivated by fear. In fact, you make a lot of mistakes when you're motivated by fear. But we want courage. And that is different. God's given us not a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind and power through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Here's a few things to help us from the Bible. How many want to be more courageous? Hallelujah. Number one, realization. I mean, I like to be real. That's probably a better word. Realization might be a mix it up, but real. How many want to be real? In order to get better, we have to understand the reality that's in front of us. We can't deny things. There's a lot of things we do to avoid. You understand that? That's not courage. You say, but Chad, whenever I do this, I feel like I'm dealing with it because I just, I'm numb to it. Or, how many know we gotta have the courage to be proactive and directly face what's in front of us? How many know that we as humans sometimes avoid confrontation? We avoid facing things. But that's not the realization I'm talking about. I'm talking about the realization of Isaiah 41. So do not fear. Easy for you to say. Why does the Bible say I'm not to fear? Because I am with you. Do not be confused or dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's Isaiah 41.10. The realization is you're not alone. Realization is it's not your power. Realization is he's with me. If God were walking with me, would I be afraid of any devil in hell? Would I be afraid of anything if I knew that God were with me? If I realized he's with me? Right? And so church, number one, we got to realize he's with us. He's for us. He's not against you. God is for you. Number two, I've got to learn to trust God in everything. You say, but everything went wrong. How many have ever had days like that? I had one the other day. Literally, the first ten things I did in that day went wrong. And something inside of me said, pack it up and don't do what you're doing because everything's against you today. And then I said to myself, that probably means there's a blessing today. (laughs) How many know? I read this, every opportunity to fear is an opportunity to trust God. How many opportunities are we passing up? You say, but I trusted God one day. And he failed me. Well, I'm glad that these Bible people didn't do that. Because some of these people had to trust God for years. You say, but I gave him one day, but you gave alcohol 20 years. Or you gave lying and deceiving 20 years. You gave manipulation of the people around you 20 years. You didn't quit doing that. 
I'm saying trust God for a period of time. I'm saying come to church, be encouraged, and encourage other people and believe God is going to change the situation. A lot of times God can't change the situation until he takes layers off of us. There's a reason why some things keep happening in our lives, and unless God changes our heart, he can't change that situation. And so we got to trust God through that process because God, sure enough, will purify you. Sometimes it'll take years for God to deliver you from certain things. You say, well, what do I do in the meantime? I'm a sinner. No, God's put you in his grace cocoon. Grace's plan covers failure. You say, I'm trying my best. I'm still failing. You're covered by grace. God wants you to stay in that cocoon until he delivers you. You say, but didn't he say he was going to deliver me from all of my things? Yeah, but he just didn't say what the time period was. You got to trust him until he does. You say he should do it immediately. No, he's going to do it when he does it. We got to trust him. Hallelujah. All of us. Number three. You should be looking for peace. The peace. Why why do I say that? Jesus, the night before he was crucified. You ever heard the weight of the world on your shoulders? Jesus literally had the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was dying for the sins of the world. Knew that he was going to be beaten and mutilated more than any man had ever been beaten. And I always say this cruel thing, and I know you can hate me when I say it, but imagine taking your beloved dog, beating him to a pulp, pulling all of his hair out. All right? Let me think that's pretty cruel so far to your beloved puppy. Then you take him and nail his four paws to a stick, a tree. And then you bleed him out till he's dead. Make him suffer the longest he possibly can. Well, that's what we did to our Lord. And you want to talk about the weight of the world knowing that he was going to be crucified? He says this the night before. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not like the world gives, I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So here's the thing, if we pursue the peace that the world doesn't give, it doesn't matter how dark the situation is, God can give us peace in the most traumatic. Jesus was in the most traumatic situation. David, by the time he was done in some of the other Psalms, he's actually in that cave dancing. You see the darkness that was around David and he actually ends up dancing and celebrating and he's trying to get everybody to celebrate with him because God had given him the peace that passes your understanding. I mean, you want that peace in the worst situations. Wouldn't it change your day if you had a bad day and you can pray for the peace of God and it comes upon you? And you can actually be radiant and you can actually look like a happy person even though I'm going through a lot of darkness. That's what God's talking about doing, giving that kind of peace. Number three, or four, you got to allow love. Now listen very carefully. You might want to pass this one up and say, well, I'm a man. All right? But we've got to allow love to have its work in our heart. Love has to fill us completely. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means I have to say I'm sorry. 
I have to apologize to people. I have to ask, ask forgiveness. I have to forgive other people. I have to let love begin to have its work inside of me. Why do I have to let love have its work? Because 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not yet been made perfect in love. You know, if you fully love God and trust God, then I'm not going to fear what I'm going through because I know God loves me. I know God loves me. And you say, well, man, Chad, I'm going through something really hard. Love has to have a perfect work in you. And church, that's not easy. How many know that? That means the greatest people in the Bible went through really hard things and there wasn't torment. You know, uh, fear is torment. It's a torment and it's a prison. But perfect love casts all that out. When there's perfect love, you can say to yourself, I'm going through something hard, but I'm going to do it with my head high. I'm going to do it with a radiant face. I'm going to know that God loves me as much today as He did yesterday. And God will take that and He'll change you. He'll fill you with His love and you'll say, man, how can God do that? And I'll tell you, quite honestly, I don't know. But He does. He does. He fills you with love. And you say, well, man, the world can't use more of that. I mean, no, we got a lot of people that are getting filled with hate and bitterness and anger. And God's saying, no, I want, to, I want you to be filled with love. And so it has, that's a big one. I can't even stress that. I'm probably going long here. Oh, I'm good. Four minutes. Hallelujah. What's happening here? Um, God's going to take away every fear. Number five is going to take away every fear, but there's only one that remains. And that word is more like all and respect. And that is that we should fear God. In fact, uh, Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. It will turn you away from the snares of death. The reason why we respect and fear God is because He always has our best in mind. He pushes away from the snares of death. That means a trap. It means there's traps all around us and He's the only one that cares enough to tell us the truth. He and anybody that operates in the Spirit of Christ will love us enough to tell us the truth. Hallelujah. Here's a good one, number six. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong. Sometimes you got to look at the opposite to see what we need to be. What if I said, be weak and discouraged? <laughs> be weak and discouraged. That means I'm not going to be strong and I'm going to constantly not have courage to face my fears. But he says in Joshua 1.9, when Joshua was about to lead him into the promised land, he said, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you, there it is again, wherever you go. So I'm just asking you, you say, well, when's this going to come into play? When you leave the sanctuary, probably before then. And you're going to be tempted to allow fear to set in. Fear of people, fear of what people think, you know, fear of anything. And I'm just going to ask you through the power of God, have courage. Have courage to face the fears. Have courage to do the right thing. Have courage to let love have its place in your life. And you say, is that hard? If you're a man, that's hard. I mean, no, that's hard to, to be loving. 
You know, sometimes we've got the cop out that we're just men and we can't love, but we need to learn to love if we want to um, not have fear. That's the strongest thing you can do. And the last one, David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. We have to pray. We have to pray. And some of you say, well, I prayed and it didn't happen. It prayed and I didn't happen. It's like, how many have ever went? In fact, uh, we cleaned out that fountain to put it in here. And I found coins at the bottom of it. <laughs> the fountain from Henderson, cleaning up to put it in the foyer here. And there were pennies in there. Somebody, that's their praying well right there, I guess. But how many of you know this isn't what it is? Flip a penny in and everybody gets their wish. No, this is a God that knows everything that's going to happen. This is a sovereign God that knows the past, the present, the future. He speaks the future before it ever happens. And this is a God that says, join me in conversation. And you ask God, you make your petitions known, and God begins to do his will in your life. And so our job in prayer a lot of times is just having communication with God. Like, I'm not going to be mad, God. I know I'm going through this. And how many know the Bible says that all things um, turn out to the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his name? And so we've got to trust God and through prayer. In fact, my prayers are, God, I'm going to trust you. (laughs) God, this is hard. I'm going to trust you. God, help me love people today. How many know that's a prayer? Help me love people today. Lord, help me have a good countenance. Help me be radiant like that scripture says. Lord, help me love people today. Even though it's hard, help me love people today. Lord, help me have faith. Increase my faith. And so prayer is such a big part because nothing God does happens except through prayer. You say, well, why is that? Because everybody is able to pray. We're all on equal footing. In fact, if you're in the hospital and you've got one of those full body casts on and you can only move your eyeballs, guess what you can do? You're the best prayer in the world, right? So God does everything through prayer. And you say, well, I don't pray. That's just not me. You need to learn. You say, well, how how can I do it? How can I learn? Talk to God like you talk to your best friend. Just say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm going through this hard thing. Help me understand it. You know, and just begin to have conversations with God and God will honor that. But if you go in and you say, God, do this, do that, do this, do that. Well, how many friends do you have where you talk to like that? (laughs) You don't. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we trust you. And um, Father, I just pray right now that you would... um, Speak to those, Lord, who are in a dark place. Lord, your word was written to provide a light, Lord God, to help us out. To deliver us from everything. You said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver us out of them all, Lord. And Lord, I just pray today that we would find our deliverance in you, in you alone. Hallelujah. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, if you need prayer, this altar is going to be open. And uh, you can make an altar right at your seat there.
And we can begin to practice what we preach and just give everything to the Lord. Just uh, make an altar and pray to the Lord. You need prayer, somebody to pray with you. We want to pray with you, but just um, God this morning wants to meet your need. He wants to meet you where your need's at. He wants to take those fears and He wants to pull them off of you. Hallelujah. He's given us principles, keys to unlock that prison of fear. Hallelujah. That spirit of fear. How many know in the Bible there's a thing called a spirit of fear that comes upon you? God wants to deliver you from that this morning. Hallelujah. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I speak against that spirit of fear. Lord, I speak against, Lord, those thoughts. Lord, that feeling of hopelessness. Lord, that darkness, Lord God, that's all around. Lord, I speak hope right now, Lord. Lord, you've made me a preacher of hope, Lord. I speak hope into that situation. Lord, I speak the truth that sets us free. Hallelujah. And right now, Lord God, as we go to you in prayer, Lord God, I pray deliverance. Lord, from every fear, Lord God. Fear of fitting in, Lord God. Fear of what people think, Lord God. Father, I pray that the chains would be removed. Lord, that they would fall off this morning, Lord. Father, that there would be a boldness that only the Holy Spirit gives. Lord, that we would say to ourselves, I will no longer be afraid of people. I'll no longer be afraid of circumstances. I'll no longer be afraid of finances. I'll no longer be afraid of relationships, death. Lord, the ultimate one is death, Lord God. In Hebrews, you said you delivered us from the fear of death. Oh, this morning, Lord God, speak into every heart. We don't have to fear anymore, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We don't have to fear anymore. Hallelujah. If you need prayer as we worship this morning, just come forward. You've never given your heart to the Lord. You've never trusted in the Lord with all of your heart. I would love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're going through things and you need prayer. You need something uh, to encourage you, to pour courage into your heart. That's what we're here for. Church, it's a hospital. Hallelujah. How many know that? This isn't a country club. This isn't a place we go and just listen to a speaker. This is where we go pray, we prophesy, we speak over people, we encourage people. Hallelujah. So if you need prayer this morning, come on up. Hallelujah. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, send your people out, Lord. No matter what they're going through, Lord God, in life, whether it's good or bad, Lord, let them be radiant. Let them radiate, Lord God, your face, Lord God, today. Do mighty things in their life and bless them as they go. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said.